Hello everybody, Eric here. A lot of people try to trick you on April Fool's Day, but we here at the KingCast celebrate this admirably goofy holiday a little bit differently. It's a time for treats, not tricks, I say. Last year we developed a whole alternate reality show that took a bow on April 1st. We weren't really able to devote the time to doing that again this year, but we didn't want April 1st to pass by without a little something something for you guys. So we're dropping a couple of our favorite episodes previously locked behind our Patreon paywall. Every week, we drop one main feed episode, free to everybody, and one Patreon-exclusive episode just for our patrons. These range from full-length commentaries, like today's brand new commentary that has KingCast favorite Brian Fuller sitting with Wampler and myself watching John Carpenter's Christine and spilling a little bit on his own adaptation in the process. We also have interviews, crazy niche King diversions, such as a comprehensive list of literal boners in Stephen King's work. We even did one recently about a bizarro conspiracy theory that claims that Stephen King was involved heavily in the assassination of John Lennon. We also do mailbags where we answer your questions. We do news roundups, all kinds of fun shit. Anyway, so what are you getting today? You're getting two episodes that Wampler and I have decided on uh, that are kind of our personal favorites that are that are residing over there at our Patreon. One is dedicated to King's weird-ass short story, The Moving Finger, where we brought in our very lively friend, Winter Mitchell, to discuss the short and the equally weird adaptation in the anthology horror show Monsters from the 90s, which starred the great Tom Noonan, by the way. Uh, The other one is an interview we did with the great fantasy artist Michael Whalen. Now, Dark Tower fans will know that name as he is the artist behind the iconic art in The Gunslinger and The Dark Tower. He's the one that kind of set the visual stage for me as a very young reader. Uh, so he is he is one of the fathers of, of uh, the Dark Tower and kind of responsible in large part to my obsession with King's magnum opus. So if you like what you hear, why not consider signing up for our Patreon? You'll get immediate access to almost two years worth of episodes, a discount code for KingCast merch, and you'll be directly supporting Wobbler and myself as we put this whole crazy thing together week to week. That sounds good to you. Head on over to patreon.com slash the KingCast and join today. Now let's dive into these bonus apps, shall we? Hi. My name is Stephen King. The ice is gonna break! Bad rum! Bad rum! You guys wanna go see a dead body? Well, sometimes. Hello and welcome back to the KingCast on the Fangoria Podcast Network. My name is Eric Vespi. I'm Scott Wampler. And we are your hosts. Today we have a very special bonus episode with a guest I'm ridiculously excited to talk to. He is an artist, an illustrator, a multiple Hugo Award winner. Like We're talking like 15, right? I think. Yeah, Uh, last time I counted. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) we'll ask you where you keep him in a second um uh he has shaped the way entire generations have pictured the many possible worlds of science fiction and fantasy uh his work has graced the covers and interior pages of alzheimer's like isaac asimov ray bradbury harlan ellison arthur c clark robert heinlein hp lovecraft edgar rice burroughs i'm a particular fan of the barsoom covers that you've done yeah Uh, and of course a guy by the name of stephen king you know we're huge Dark Tower nerds here, so it is with great pleasure that I introduce our guest, one of the two men most directly responsible for my obsession with Midworld. When I close my eyes and picture Roland's world, what I see looks exactly like this man's work. Oh, Ladies and gentlemen, cool. please welcome to the KingCast stage, the great Michael Whalen. Hey, thank Woo! you. I'm really, really uh, pleased to be invited here. Oh, man. We're, we're thrilled to have you. This is a real honor. One of the great things about doing what I do is that uh, while I'm uh, painting or, or doing whatever I'm doing, uh, I listen to a lot of music and a lot of podcasts, uh, a lot of audiobooks, which I hope we'll, we'll get into and talk about. And sure. um, the KingCast has been a revelation for me and uh, really enjoyable because I'm as much a King nerd as either of you two, for sure. And, uh, uh, you know, it's been... Uh, a pleasure to be part of that universe, but uh, to have people actually um, be interested in my experience in that is, is uh, you know, really uh, gratifying. So well, thanks. You, you played a key role in, you know, as Eric noted in that intro, uh, a, a key role in the way all of us picture Midworld. That's, that's, 
I imagine the full weight of that didn't occur to you as you were originally working on these things. But... No, but it's a, it, it really feels like a heavy responsibility now, to be honest. It, yeah, but um, you didn't, you didn't screw it up. You, you well, killed it. I hope so. not. <laughs> <laughs> I think someone yeah. would have told you by now if you did, but it seems, like, you know, <laughs> sure. you're doing great. I, as I'm sitting here talking to you guys, I'm staring at one of your pieces. I have uh, a print that you, that you sold from your uh, store of the gunslinger on the beach. Yeah. And it's been, it's been framed uh, on my wall, you know, for a good long time. In fact, my one time that I got to meet uh, Stephen King himself and I interviewed him, you know, way back in the day, uh, I brought along this, this piece and, and I'm like, listen, I, at the end of the interview, I'm like, I don't really you know, I'm not an autograph hound. I don't, you know, do that too much. Unprofessional, blah, 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 blah. Uh, but at the end, I'm like, Dark Tower means a lot to me. Would you mind signing this? And I, and so I have your piece. He he kind of messed it up a little bit because he he wrote his, his big name right, you know, right in the middle of the art. But, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll forgive him for that. Uh, but, you know, each and every one of these episodes we record, I'm, you know, my default like stares just kind of looking at the sunset that Roland's looking at. So, so uh, just in a weird way, you're not only have you shaped my fandom for this thing that I have been part of my identity, I guess in a weird way, since I was in middle school, you know, reading these books, mm-hmm. um, you know, it during each episode of this, you know, I'm kind of abstractly, you know, getting lost in your, your art. So anytime you hear me trail off and lose my thoughts, it's all your fault. <laughs> mm. Because I'm, well, I'm just getting getting lost in your work. The greatest compliment to me uh, when I do uh, illustrations for an author's writing is if the author himself wants to own the artwork. Yeah. And Steve owns a good deal of the artwork I did for the uh, both books. And so it says to me that I'm accurately conveying what he had in his mind when he wrote the scene or whatever. And uh, you know, I, there's no compliment greater than that. So it's, uh, he's got, uh, several of my paintings hanging in his offices and places like that. So, uh, it's, yeah, terrific. So you're, saying, that. you're saying King himself probably stares off into this sunset yeah. <laughs> while, while, when he's working. So we share that in common. Yeah. So we typically ask our guests, their Stephen King origin stories and, uh, uh, it might be a silly question to ask you, um, but I, I know that you worked on a Firestarter limited edition before Dark Tower. Yeah. Was that your first, the first time you'd heard of King or the first time you read King or, or yeah, were you I think it was already? The first time, you know, I've been doing um, covers for the Dog Book Company's uh, Year's Best Horror Stories for years. Mm-hmm. It, it was my favorite assignment every, every year. And, uh, King had stories, obviously, in those collections from 1975 on. So uh, I'm sure I was aware of his writing because uh, I was illustrating the the cover of that book. But never thought that I'd actually get a commission to do a a cover to a a book only of his stories. I think Firestarter was the first one that I became acquainted with. After I read Firestarter, I went and read everything available that he had written up to that point and you know carry and whatever uh the dead zone or whatever else was out and available and uh i've been a fan of his ever since tell me about for for firestarter you just did the uh, cover right that wasn't like the dark tower where there were multiple illustrations no, just a throughout. cover you know um right that came about i think as a result of of uh steve and i were both guests of honor at the 1979 World Fantasy Convention in Providence that year. And uh, I remember sitting on the dais with him. Uh, We were sitting next to each other and uh, goofing around with the platters that they served the dessert in. When you put one on top of the other, it looked like the flying saucers in an old 50s science fiction movie called Earth versus the Flying Saucers. And we were making flying (laughs) saucers and uh, screwing around up there and making ourselves laugh. And um, that was the first time I met him and uh, got to hang out with him. And I saw he was like, just like me, <laughs> you know, a, right. a warped guy. We're uh, close to being the same age. So we grew up reading the same EC comic books and uh, watching the same horror movies and reading a lot of the same books. 
and we're fans of Richard Matheson and people like that. So a lot of our formative influences were identical, you know, so there's uh, many points of contact, you know, between his uh, upbringing and mine. So the Toastmaster at that convention was uh, a writer named Charles L. Grant. Mm -hmm. And um, after that convention, shortly after that convention, I got a call from the from uh, a publisher who was publishing a collection of stories by Charles L. Grant called Tales from the Nightside. And uh, that was the first assignment I had coming up in the year uh, in the winter of 1980, 1981. And uh, I did that and I think that may have led to them coming back to me for the cover for Firestarter. And hmm. it was the cover of Firestarter that King saw and liked a lot. And uh, the, when the grant publishing people uh, were about to publish the Gunslinger book, they asked him who he wanted to, to do the artwork for that. And he, he uh, selected me on the basis of what I did for the Firestarter book. So. And history was made. One Did he give you a heads up on that? Like, I'm going to I'm gonna recommend you for this job? Or did you find out through that? Uh, they contacted me and they said, uh, we're publishing this Stephen King book. Um, and he, uh, he asked if you'd be willing to do the, the illustrations for it. And I said, sure. But I hadn't read any of the, the Gunslinger stories in fantasy and science fiction magazine. So I had no idea what I was getting into. But... <laughs> The timing was terrible because that was a really <laughs> stressful winter for me. In November, my daughter was born and uh, being a new parent, you know, is very time consuming. You lose a lot of sleep and all that kind of stuff. And then in December, John Lennon got shot and killed. Two close friends of the family were killed in a car accident on I-95 uh, uh, here on the East Coast. And... Um, I can't remember what else happened, but it was a it was just a really shitty winter in terms of not having a, any sleep and having all this tragedy around us. So the last thing I felt like doing was a cover to a, a collection of horror stories. But the the painting I did for the Charles L. Grant book came out really good. And um, when Firestarter came along, I uh, jumped into it with both feet. I really liked the book a lot. Yeah. identified with uh, uh, the lead character a lot. And uh, I thought it was a terrific novel and uh, was really excited to get a chance to do something so uh, different from the other books that I had done book covers for. So uh, it turned out to be a, a net really positive experience for me. Yeah, well, it, it kind of makes sense when you kind of look at, you know, all the <laughs> the authors whose work you've, you know, illustrated because uh, that you would get this dark tower thing and be so associated with it because there's so much DNA of all these people who you've, you've, uh, you know, already illustrated and, and brought, yeah. brought their, their work to life. Like within this, like that's the great thing about the dark tower is that it's an everything in the kitchen sink story. You know, it's a Western. Yeah, it's a you know, I, I kind of think of uh, the dark tower series as King's white album. You know, if you yep. <laughs> think <laughs> of sure. the Beatles white album, it, it's got everything in it from, uh, you know, so many diverse influences are reflected in, in the songs The changes in mood from one song to another are just, totally off the wall. And the Dark Tower series is like that, though I had less of a hint of that in that just doing the, the work for the first book. I didn't realize until I got into the second and the third book, just, you know, how all over the map he was going to go. With this thing. <laughs> right. Really but even that first book right. has it, that weird, like metaphysical confrontation at the end. Like it's not, it's not the pulpy thing you think you're getting into when you read yeah. it at the beginning. Cause it's like, you know, it opened so strongly with the man in black fled across the desert and the gunslinger followed. And you're like, okay, I know what story this is. And then by the time you get to the end and it's, you know, there, there is no shootout. It is, you know, it is just like a battle of the minds essentially, you know, between. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the canvas goes from uh, this guy crossing this desert to the whole universe, you know, right. <laughs> Uh, hanging on, hanging on a, a, a droplet of water on a blade of grass. Yeah, yeah, it's mind blowing. It's truly mind blowing. So, yeah, no, I I love it. Um, so when you got this uh, assignment, you agreed to do this. 
was it known from the beginning that that they wanted multiple pieces throughout the book, you know, yeah. or was that something that developed? Yeah, no, they they did, and I hadn't done that before, so uh, it was a new thing for me, and I, I was excited about doing the idea of doing an illustrated book for adults, right? You know, which is a rare thing, or was up to that point. Um, when you thought of uh, books that had interior illustrations, it, it was usually kids' books, you know, um, the missing piece by Shel Silverstein or something like that. Right. You know? So, for a book for adults that had color illustrations inside was uh, kind of a, a new thing and um, really challenging for me. But you know, I enjoyed the story so much. I, I really, I was totally lost in it while I was working right. on it. Well, I remember I, I read the um, the trade paperbacks. That was my my introduction to it, which had your, oh, your illustrations. That came out in eighty eight, right? Yeah, yep. Um, and and I I, I uh, am going to admit something for the first time on this podcast in that since I was I think twelve when I picked it up, uh, what I did was I saw the cover and then I noticed you can see on the binding like or on the outside you know, where the, the little lines are, where there's the, uh, the illustrations. Right. And so, and I'm like, okay, I started flipping through it. And so I was like, am I going to read this book was essentially my thought. Um, I was reading all of Stephen King at that time. I love Stephen King, but I could, I could give a shit about Westerns. And I thought, yeah, yeah, me too. (laughs) What this was. And so, (laughs) and so I'm like, I, I see the cover and I'm like, okay, this looks this Stephen King and the names and his font, the big, whatever. And I'm like, all right, I flip through and I see like the toll, you know, art that you did. And I'm like, okay, this is what I expect it to be. It's a, a badass with guns that are, you know, and, and there's a trail of bodies. Yeah. And then bodies I'm all over through, the place, man. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, okay, this is cool. It's violent. I could probably get into this. Yeah. And, and I flipped through and I looked at all the pieces of art before I started reading the book. So, and by the time I, I got to the slow mutants piece, which is the cover of the grant edition, uh, and there's monsters pulling at a child as, as a, as the gunslinger's firing at it, I was just like, okay, I think this book might be for me. Yeah, <laughs> and then yeah. that's, that's actually when I, I uh, stopped and started reading. So yeah. Weren't those slow mutants cool? I mean, I just love those guys. I could, I could do 20 paintings of slow mutants, you know, just I, that whole scene is, is just oh, terrifying. Man. Just awesome. And I think that's my favorite of the illustrations in that book. Mm. Like well, it is just imprinted the- permanently in my mind. The idea of doing a scene lit by the flash of a gun, yeah, of a yeah. bullet being fired, I thought was wow. That I don't know if anyone's ever done that before, you know. So that was such a challenge, and uh, uh, even though the the slow mutants themselves glow in the dark and all that, I I thought the idea of having that being the source of light, there's some kind of metaphorical uh, comment in there also that the firing of a bullet defines uh, Roland's character and his purpose and the universe and all that kind of stuff. Also, they all all kind of fit together like pieces of a puzzle. It just seems so right. It really captures the claustrophobia of that sequence. I think, yeah, you know, the claustrophobia of them just being, you know, traveling through the mountain on the cart, but yeah. Yeah. That moment where they're getting swarmed. It's just, it's a, terrifying moment in the book and then you just nailed it like it looks oh, like, like ripped out of my mind's eye for oh, for that cool. illustration i'm curious if on further dark tower trades were you flipping ahead to look at the pictures before you picked them up or were you letting them come as you read the book uh at that point i was hooked so my memory is that i i i saved each illustration uh going ahead as a treat, but I don't know if I started that immediately, maybe with wastelands. Cause I think drawing of the three, uh, I, I did the same thing where I, I like, I flipped to the art I saw and I, cause I have a memory of missing one. There, yeah, there's one that I missed. And so it was like finding a $20 bill in my pocket when I got yeah, to it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I typically don't do that. I'm not the guy that likes to, to jump ahead, but I was doing weird shit like that when I was reading in, in middle and high school, like I read a lot of Crichton at that time too. Yeah. And I don't know why, but I just decided 
I would read the last sentence of his book before oh I started God. writing. And I don't like, I, I want to like smack my younger self for doing it, but I, I only did it with Michael Crichton and I only did it in like a one year period. I have no idea why I got it in my head to do that, but uh, like from guess- when Harry met Sally, like, <laughs> like, cause Billy Crystal in that movie, like his thing is he reads the last page of every oh, book. That's he right. Reads. That's right. Just no, in case no, that's he awful. That's Nobody should do that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, maybe that's where you got the idea. That's all I'm saying. Maybe I, I was a huge uh, uh, Meg Ryan fan when I was in middle school. So, uh, <laughs> um, good lord! Uh, but uh, that's—I didn't mean it dirty. You—I was trying to make a joke. Damn it! Look at you. You're making me all blush and stuff mm-hmm. now. Um, <laughs> so I'm—I'm uh, I'm curious about Sorry, Meg. If you're listening to this episode, yeah, and please come on the Kingcast. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I'd like to I don't mean to jump right to the to the final illustration, but I can tell you that the first book in the Dark Tower series was, you know, a, a great experience to read. I, you know, as as difficult as it might be to to jump in like kind of, you know, the deep end for for some people with that. That's part of the reason why I was so immersed in this in, in the series. Uh, yeah. But that final image of, of Roland on the beach to me is everything that the dark tower is. It's the beauty, the darkness, the obsession, the hope, the mystery, the exhaustion, like all of it is in that, that image for me. So th- that to me is the keystone image of the series. Um, did you know you were going to end it on this image when you read through the book? Did they tell you they wanted certain, you know, images here? Nobody art directed me at all, which was really great. I can't remember how that came about. I read the book and that just, that was an image that was in the movie in my mind, you know? So right. I had a problem with the tower itself. And this is something we may talk about later, but King changes his view of what the fucking tower looks like from one to another. And it drove me crazy. You know, that uh, at, at the seventh book, all of a sudden it's this boring, dumb tower that's kind of short and doesn't have anything cool looking about it. And um, <laughs> that, that, and so, you know, I just came up with something that I thought looked kind of strange and a little science fiction-y and, and whatever. And uh, it's, you know, uh, you could tell that the, the book was going to be continued and and go on and, and have other uh, things happening. So I just, uh, I don't know, I just went with a feeling. But I can tell you one thing. When my wife found out that I just sold the painting on a whim and, and for a fraction of what I could have gotten for it, uh-huh. She was so pissed. <laughs> that was her favorite painting out of the series. And uh, boom, you know, it, I just kind of, eh, well, you know, it's just, I can do another one, whatever. And uh, <laughs> But you sold it to King, it. right? So that was the. When I when right. I did the artwork for the series, I had no idea of how it was going to be used or what was going to be on the cover or you know, um, I left that all up to uh, the publisher. And uh, uh, I think if I had a plan in mind, um, it, it might have affected what I ended up doing, you know, for the for the whole package, you know, of the book. But um, I didn't. So I can't really claim that uh, it was planned or that I uh, saw that as being a the penultimate image of the the expression of the entire book in one image. I have a question. You you know you've already touched on this a little bit. The the way the the dark tower changes over the course of your illustrations of it. You know the the tower itself. And when I look at that uh, that I'm looking at it right now. That image of Roland on the beach with the tower. Mm-hmm. It's you know it's notched. It has those cool like spires coming out of it, like at weird angles and and maybe platforms or like, you know, when I look at that, it fires my imagination to where I'm like, my mind is trying to come up with what the functionality of the tower is. Like, why would that be there? What does this do? And so there's like a headcanon that goes along with it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious if you have a headcanon for. Yeah, I did. 
And in my first version of the cover I did for the the anthology called Legends that had the painting of Roland stepping through a doorway kind of and a a big tower in the background, my vision of the tower is that it would be this incredibly complex conglomeration of every architectural style existing on Earth. So you'd see a bit of the Taj Mahal or... uh, Buckingham Palace or uh, the Reichstag or, you know, the White House and, and the Eiffel Tower and, you know, all the, the different expressions of humanity and architecturally, um, some Japanese or Cambodian architecture. Mm-hmm. It'd be all in there and all kind of fused and mixed together in an organic kind of way, representing the chaos, you know, of human development through time. And, but, all I could hint at, you know, in that illustration was a silhouette that suggested uh, an asymmetrical conglomeration. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's uh, weird bits going this way and that way, but I didn't try to define any of that. And and I did when I did the, the cover in 98 or whenever it was that that Legends book came out, but I decided that was too specific and I went in and repainted the whole thing and made it more of a blur and more of a, uh, unreadable silhouette again on, on that, uh, on that image. Cause I didn't know where King was going to go with the thing. So I kind of copped out. I'm endlessly well, yeah. fla- fascinated by like the platforms that are extending off of it. Yeah. You know, I always end up like zeroing in on those and, and sort of like, I wonder what goes on on those platforms. <laughs> I didn't you know? know myself. It was just yeah. to represent a, a feeling, you know, a, a random chaotic totally. design element. That No, that's a, a fascinating answer. Well, for me, it's the spiky stuff at the top. You know, like, it, yeah, I, I, I just love, you know, I, I love it. And you're right. I think King got a little bit too literal with his concept of the tower being the linchpin of the the universe and, and making it just like a big cylindrical like Leaning Tower of Pisa. You well, know, he, he referred too much, I think, to the Robert Browning poem. Right. You know, which described it as just a squat done tower, I think, or or whatever. And it sounded decidedly boring and ugly in, in that. And uh, I kind of wish he had diverged a little more from that, but. Oh, well, you know, but, you know, but the imagery you came up with still works because in this Roland, not looking at the literal tower in this, this is right. the tower in his mind. Yeah. This is the, this is a, you know, Ahab and his whale, you know? Yeah. 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 You know, it's beautiful. I, I'm with you. I, I, I do like pointy bits on, on my towers, dark or light. Thank you very much. Well, you know <laughs> what? Um, when I saw the British, uh, there was a UK edition of the gunslinger books where the in the gunslinger you're pretty far away from the tower and as you go through the books in the series you get closer and closer to it and there's all these really awesome details and texture and shit in the in the uh the uk edition i don't know who the illustrator was but i looked at it and i said man i wish i'd done that because it was it wasn't what king wrote but it, it was right for the the feeling of the story and it, it just felt really really cool to me so I had a lot of envy for whoever did those. <laughs> Before we uh, uh, jump over to your work in book seven, uh, you mentioned that Legends piece, which to me is the second key art image for me uh, of of what the Dark Tower is, because you got to incorporate the doorways, you got you know the Field of Roses, like all that stuff that's more yeah, uh, King and kind of more established what the Dark Tower was. Uh-huh. Um, in that, uh, and it's also dynamic and I'd love to talk to you about like, like how you portray a dynamic moment like that in, in a painting, uh, because you did that with, uh, Jake getting pulled by the slow mutants and the, you know, the flash of the muzzle, yeah. you know, in, in that piece, you know, uh, whereas the Roland on the beach is a very still image, mm-hmm. you know, but, but I, I, I love that you can play in both worlds and I, I'd love you know, I guess some of it's in like Roland's got the semi cape thing going on that's flapping in the wind, and yeah, I know. And, and it looks like he just threw open the door. Ever in any of the books, he's King's never wearing a duster, but it it seems like every artist who illustrates Roland just can't resist putting some kind of uh, cloaky, dustery type of 
the thing on the guy. Right. Just, it feels right, but uh, he never does have one in any of the books. I guess King does talk about the bandana, right? He he's got his his red bandana. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's he's fairly drably dressed through most of the books, right? And I think he's yeah. just a no frills guy. <laughs> you know, he's got his sandalwood uh, grip guns and and uh, and the holsters and well, just yeah, like jeans. He's been and traveling for thousands of years, so right. he's wearing is beat to shit. I I have to say one thing about the hat, though. The hat right. I have, the, I have a hat that I use as uh, the model for whatever hat I ever show on him. And I got that hat from a girl I met at a Led Zeppelin concert (laughs) at the Winterland uh, back in the 70s. And we wanted to get up as close to the stage as we could. So we figured out if we crawled on our hands and knees uh, through the crowd that people would feel something bumping their feet and move aside for us. And we got right up to the stage right in front of Robert Plant. And I was there with a good friend of mine and uh, a girl that he met and her girlfriend. And, you know, we were digging the music and she gave me the hat during the concert. And at some point we got separated and I never saw her again, but I still got the hat. So <laughs> holy shit. That's what I was in. From. Yeah. How was the show? Oh, are you kidding? <laughs> I can't imagine. I can't imagine. It was awesome. Yeah, it was great. I don't think we'll, I, I mean, I don't think I'll ever get to see Led Zeppelin perform. It's it's such a bummer. But, the song they were doing when we reached the stage was the Lemon song. That's the only part of that that I remember. The rest of it. Wow. <laughs> Plus all the diseases you picked up by crawling on your hands and knees oh, God, on, that, no. on that ground. <laughs> Worth it. The- Worth it. That's a great strategy <laughs> for getting to the stage. Scoop that must have been on the floor of that place. Oh. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so book seven, it's great thematically because the they went out of their way to incorporate different artists throughout the entire series. But yeah, when you get really- to book seven, you realize it's going back to the first book anyway, right? So like well, I it, didn't it is- know that. You know, they Steve called me up and asked me about it. And, and, you know, like, what am I going to say? No. (laughs) Right. You know, and and he said, there's a reason why I'm I'm asking you to consider doing the the artwork for the last book. And I said, okay, cool. You Uh, didn't ask why? You just went with it? Yeah. And uh, (laughs) it'll become apparent to you when you get to read the manuscript. And I got to admit, the first thought that came to my head is, oh, my God, I get to read these books before everybody else. <laughs> and except for Bev Vincent, maybe. But, you know, I got the manuscripts for the last three books and I was in fucking heaven for a while, you know, and I so I got to read those and I said, oh, I see. You know, it all makes sense when you get to the ending of the seventh book, you know, that the Alpha and Omega part of it, you know, that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, I was, I was just so honored, you know, to be selected for that. And, uh, what can I say? You know, it was <laughs> well, of, of practically, uh, you know, half my life. So, right. And so you're a fan of the series going into this. Are you able to just enjoy the books as a fan or are you going through going, I don't, I don't know, Phil Hale. I, I wouldn't have picked that, that moment to, <laughs> to illustrate if, if this was me, this you know what I mean? a cop out but it's both at the same time interesting um i listen to the audiobooks on a pretty regular basis i'd say at least once a year or maybe once every two years and um when i'm listening to that and and picturing uh phil hell's illustration of something or dave mckean's especially i, I go oh man that's so that's really wrong for this you know i, I would have done right. something completely different but you know right so what you know i i'm glad i didn't have to do all the books it would have been much fun <laughs> right so i i guess wizard and glass because we've had this conversation uh between us uh wampler and i and we had we did a, a bonus episode once about the various art in the various books and and i always thought that the wizard and glass art was like it was the wrong book to take that kind of you know more abstracty approach to because it is the most like rollicking classical romantic thing and it's got you know a lot of high fantasy in it too so is is that like the book that if you could could choose one that you didn't do would would it be wizard and glass or or would it be a different one yeah it'd be wizard and glass i suppose um 
though uh, my favorite cover of the entire series is the one is the wizard and glass cover i right. love that fucking cover the bullet in his teeth and and yeah. um the color changes on the cover and everything i, I think it's just phenomenal i when i right. held that in my hands i said oh my god this guy whoever did this nailed it and i opened yeah. it up and saw it was him and i've been a fan of his work for the sandman comics of course for a long time and that guy is a fucking genius uh but uh that being said there were some of the the illustrations in there look kind of dashed off to me and and i would have uh would have given them uh, a different approach and blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm not here to put right. Dave McKean, but no, of course not. I mean, his, his cover though was, was fucking amazing. Just, Oh God, I loved it. Even more so. I, I kind of, one of my favorite books in the series is Wolves of the Kala. And I, I think that I would really love to have had a chance to do that. Every time I listen to the audiobook of Wolves of the Color, I I have a movie running in my head and and I see uh, paintings, you know, are running to my head the entire time that I wish I could paint and wish I had uh, time in my life to to realize as uh, visual images that didn't get done, you know, for that book. So uh, that's another one that uh, stands out for me. Wolves of the Color has that sort of cinematic blockbuster pacing to it that drawing of the three has. Yeah. You know, yeah, where it's it just like, uh, when I think of those books, they're, they're, they're machines for entertainment. You know, yeah. there's things happening at precise intervals and beats and it just keeps going until it's over. Like, yeah. It yeah. Pulls you along. The one thing I'm really curious about with the, um, with the seventh book is that your original illustrations of Roland are not necessarily, there's there's not a define how do I put this? Roland is a guy, right? Yeah. He's he's just a guy, uh, like a cowboy in those in those images. In in the Seventh Dark Tower book, not only do you have an illustration of multiple Stephen Kings in there, but you've that illustration of Roland standing in front of the tower looks a lot like Stephen King. I have to assume that was intentional, right? It's funny you should say that. I, I didn't intend for it to look a lot like Stephen King, but Really? Oh yeah. man, I can see him in that face completely. Really? Wow. I, you know who I was thinking of? I, maybe I shouldn't say this, but I was thinking of James Coburn. Mm. Uh, and, yeah, and, there's right? some Coburn in there. Yeah. Got the cheekbones. I see the cheekbones. Yeah. 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 And uh, the problem it's, is, it's, King can't fucking make up his own mind about what Roland looks like. <laughs> <laughs> In, in the drawing of the three, Jake walks by the movie theater and he looks at the, the poster and he sees Clint Eastwood. And he says, yeah, it looks like uh, Roland. But then again, he doesn't. Well, thanks a lot, Steve. That doesn't tell me anything. You know? <laughs> and then um, there's a scene in the seventh book where uh, Roland goes down and he meets Stephen King. And there's some comment where he says he could be Roland's brother or or whatever. Mm. There is a similarity, but then again, there isn't. And there are times when Eddie is is looking at uh, Roland uh, during the drawing of the three, and he makes comments about, you know, how how his uh, face looks like it could have been carved out of granite, you know, so you figure all these sharp cheekbones and, and well-defined lines. And then um, Susanna says uh, he could have the face of a poet, which is completely in a different direction. <laughs> so, so, you know, King's description of, of Roland is never consistent in, in my view. So the one huge regret I have is that I actually put Roland's face in the light on the cover of the last book. I wish so much that I would, put the sun on the other side of the picture and cast his face in shadows so that uh, every reader could kind of make up his own mind about what, what Roland really looks like. Uh, if there's anything I could do over again, it would be the cover of that, that last book. I, I regret trying to pin down a, a look for, for Roland and, and going with what I went with. And I respect, I respect your take on that. At the same time, I'm also like... Everyone has a different idea of what Frodo looks like. And I think every artist is going to fail. Every artist <laughs> right. is going to... You know, and every artist is going to fail with Roland because you're going to pick and choose the elements of the story that you read that you 
uh, feel, uh, work with you and work with your experience and your feeling where the story's going. And you're going to have your own idea of what he looks like. And no artist is going to be able to capture that. So it's a fool's errand to try to come up with a definitive vision of what he looks like. So I, I can't believe that I let myself fall into that trap. But oh well. I think it, I think it works as like the B side to the beach image with him sitting on the beach. Yeah. Right. Well, in that image, you can't it is see what his it face. Is and it, what's done is done and it can't be undone. <laughs> so too late for me now. <laughs> That's true, but I I don't think you have anything to worry about. Like it's, yeah. it's it's an iconic image, I think. Well, when King told me he bought it and he put the picture up in his bedroom, <laughs> I said, "Well, I you know I I couldn't be too far off if uh, if he felt that good about the the depiction of him." But uh, where the painting is, I, I now I don't know. But uh, several years ago, he had told me that and. I thought, well, okay, you know. So you're you're rolling seeing some things that that he 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 dare not speak about. I'm sure. Yeah, that's what you're yeah, saying. I guess so. Here's <laughs> here's the attitude that I feel looking at those images side by side. The the beach image and the the rose slash tower image is in the first one. Roland's face is hidden. He's dreaming of the tower. It's far off in the distance. Yeah. Now we get a nice long look at him in the sun, and he's looking at us like guess what motherfuckers i made it you know it's it's such a good like it, it's such a good dichotomy between those those two images and i love that about it yeah it's a tough thing to wrestle with though when you know by the time the seventh book was done you know i felt i had so much responsibility hanging on my shoulders that to try to get things right and um i tried to just put all that aside and just let myself go crazy i gave myself sure. a a period of months, and I said, I'm going to do anything. I'm going to work. I'm going to do some paintings in oils. I'm going to do some in acrylics. I'm going to do some pen and ink. I'm going to paint in black and white uh, acrylics. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And I'm just going to give this this pile of shit, this pile of artwork to uh, <laughs> Robert Wiener and let him do whatever he wants with it. I can't decide what's going to work and what isn't. And right. he did what he did with it. And, you know, I've got some issues with how the, the book ended up being designed and all that, that I'm not going to get into, but, you know, I didn't make the job easy for him because, uh, you know, I gave him such a, such an inconsistent mishmash of, uh, of images to work with that uh, I, I don't envy in his uh, job of trying to put it all together and make it coherent. How long did it take you to produce all the images for the final one? My wife says I took nine months, but uh, I honestly don't have a, I, I'm not trying to duck the question, but I, it wasn't like I was keeping a diary or a journal and I said, Oh, today I'm starting on, Right, same right. book. I started reading the book, and um, my usual practice is that as I'm getting images in my head to turn over pages in the manuscript and do sketches, uh, which later become the basis of concept pieces or um, black and white images that later become drawings, painting drawings, or paintings or whatever. Uh, it's just I do remember uh, trying to space out the color illustrations so that. Uh, I don't have too many that focus on one particular part of the manuscript. Mm. But, right. uh, I know when I read the scene where uh, Mordred takes out the man in black that, that I had to paint that. And I had, right. I had this image in my head of what ex it looked like. And my job was to exactly paint what was in my head. And uh, if I did that, then I felt I, I nailed it, you know, and, and that sort of thing was going on in my mind also. So. I'm sorry if I'm sounding kind of incoherent. I, I was kind of no, I, not I, at all. Great. The whole process was was very very subjective. I didn't take an objective or professional uh, illustration attitude towards the uh, assignment whatsoever. <laughs> I was <laughs> I went total fanboy on the thing. <laughs> what an is, awesome position to be in, though. You know, yeah, no to be joke. able to do that. Like, yeah, that's, that's yeah, incredible. It, it felt awesome. It really did. You, the Crimson King is is something that we have to talk about because yeah. that is you talk about King being vague like he's vague about the Crimson King up until the end. Yeah, he sure. You is. know, your image of the Crimson King 
you know, not again, not to put put King down at, at all, but like to me, like there, he's more imposing and more of like uh, intriguing in that image than I think he ever ended up playing out as in the in the story. I um, and and I love I love the end of the Dark Tower, uh, but even me, I'm you know, <laughs> as you know, I, starting a Stephen King podcast, I'm you know, I, I'm in. I I love the circular nature. I love the very end of the tower. But yeah. even me, I, I still sit back and go, well, maybe you shouldn't have just introduced a, a character in the last book that can just erase the big bad guy. You know, <laughs> it's like you know, I still had that that moment. But so maybe you can you can talk a little bit about your approach to the Crimson King, who's been well, kind of. In, introduced as this like overall he's like the sauron of this of this story that I know. What, no matter how it plays out like this is the the thing that's been hanging over roland's journey for at least half of the books at this point you know how do you well, approach that you know when i painted him on his throne that's the kind of gravity that i, I wish uh he continued to have for the rest of the book <laughs> right um right i was fulfilling my own wish right there but uh, when I got to the point where, yeah, he's just erased away. It, it, uh-huh. uh, yeah, it was, it was kind of a letdown. I got in my, for me, um, I, I don't know how King could have painted himself out of that corner, but right. I, I wish there had been some other, other way that, you know, cause he, yeah, he, he's, like the ultimate badass person in the universe. And, right. but I felt that way about Mordred and, and the man in black too. Right. You know, though right. so the scene where he meets his demise is one of the most horrific things I've ever read in my life. It's right. Oh my God. Sends a shiver up my spine, just thinking about it. But uh, still, um, he, you know, he's such an imposing figure, you know, throughout and and in his various incarnations as flag or whatever and to i don't know to have him be just thrown away like a kleenex kind of in, in right or is was disappointing on the one hand it's fitting because flag is flag always overestimates himself yeah you know that's yeah. that's typical of flag right. but on the other hand i do see the angle of like it's flag like he shouldn't just go out like that. Like that's, you know, it's over in an instant. And as, yeah, as horrifying as the scene, yeah, some kind of battle royal, you know, of some yeah. sort, you know. Yeah. But I think that's just the truth in the middle of those two ideas is that that's what that scene is there to communicate. That that's how powerful Mordred is. Yeah. But then I guess Mordred gets you know taken out next to a campfire. You know? um, <laughs> right. Yeah, but. Uh, but I do love that, that Crimson King image. And I think in insomnia, like young Patrick Danville, like envisions the Crimson King is, and like mentions him looking like a catfish or some, something fucking crazy. Am I imagining that? I don't remember that. Yeah. It's, uh, I would have to go back and look at it and I don't actually have a copy of insomnia right now, but, um, wow, I've got to go back and refer to my copy. It's been (laughs) years since I've read that. So. Yeah, me too. And I may be like completely misremembering that, but that idea always stuck with me. So I was thinking, oh, so the Crimson King isn't even like human. It's like something, something else entirely. It's a creature. Yeah. Um, but now it's just a, it's just a, a guy shrieking on a balcony. Uh, yeah. Apparently. So I um, love the, the image of his eyes just floating there and right. You know, that I saw that in the movie in my mind and, and, how horrible that was and appropriate and everything. But yeah, it's a strange denouement. It left uh, very mixed feelings in my head, in my mind. Right. But but also you know, I, I, got, just, I kept telling myself, this is Steve's book, not my book. He's not writing it. Right. right. And uh, a friend of mine always says like, I have sympathy for fiction writers having to write an ending. Like you got to write an ending. There's no choice. And sometimes it's just, you know, it's never going to match whatever people in their heads are imagining. So you're up against that. And then, yeah. you know, sometimes you need it to just work out cleanly. And and I think that's what's going on there. Thematically, too, like, because in, in my mind, you know, and, and uh, this is like putting me in the people who are upset that Luke Skywalker didn't, you know, jump around and destroy all those, you know, Imperial walkers and shit in Last Jedi. Because yeah. in my mind, I'm like, I wanted to see the Cotet 
all together storming the Dark Tower. That's kind of what I wanted to see. But like, I appreciate that Roland in that last book is losing every piece of himself. Right. And that is what it takes to get to his ultimate goal. And that's been established since book one when he let Jake fall. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, I, I, there is a, a cleanness to, Roland being the last one there. And so I'll, I'll always appreciate it, you know, thematically, even though it's not exactly what I wanted to see, yeah. you know, happen. I think that's, you know, you just, you got to look at, you know, what makes sense for the, for the story. Um, just as I think Ryan Johnson looked at last Jedi and said, what makes sense for the story that I've been set up for not to, uh, to enrage the, <laughs> the star Wars fan fan base against us, uh, any more than they are already. But, uh, you know, but I do appreciate when when uh, an artist takes a, a swing like that and chooses what's better for uh, for the story than you know just writing whatever he, they think the fans might want to see. Yeah, yeah, fan service versus uh, uh, keeping your truth and integrity as an as an artist. So right, it's but man, it's hard because so much of my job uh, as an illustrator for what the. F- 40 odd years I've been working has been a lot of it's been fan service. Um, <laughs> when you think by definition, it, I'm, I'm trying yeah. to service, I'm trying to visualize what's in my head and satisfy myself as a fan and a reader, but also the author, the, the readers, uh, the marketing people for the publishing company, right. the editors. I don't envy being in a position of trying to wind that series up. Oh my God. <laughs> right. So hard. But at the same time, I, I had a feeling when I got to the end of it that he kind of, I had the feeling that, well, I, don't, I shouldn't get into it. <laughs> I'm trying yeah. to read Steve's mind and, and that's, uh, that's, that's not fair to him. So Right. I think well, overall, f- he, he hit the exact right note. It needed to end on that circular note and anything that happens before that, you know, in that hundred pages or so before we get to the idea that all of this is repeating. Yeah. You know, I mean, he had a monumental task before him. And if the alternative was, I don't know, an extra hundred pages or so where Roland battles the fucking Crimson King uh, from that field of roses up to his little his little uh, porch on the tower. Would that have made me more happy? I don't think so. So, you know, I'm I'm fine with it. Uh, I'm, I'm fine with it now. One thing I would like to touch on here is that just because largely because we mentioned this before, but there's, there's an image in the seventh book with uh, father Callahan and he's, he's holding up the turtle and in the, uh, the Dixie pig with all the, yeah. Yeah. And I think this is, here's my theory. I think this is your mirror image version of the Roland with the slow mutants picture from the first book. You have two primary lighting sources here, just like you did in the first book, the glowing yeah. mutants plus the yeah. plus the uh, gun going off. Here it's the the light flooding in from the outside of that private room plus the amulet. Was that intentional or am I just drawing connections Not based on light sources? It never occurred <laughs> to me until you mentioned it just now, but. Um, I saw there being a lot of light sources because uh, there were candles or what he calls flambeau uh, around yeah. the room and, and on the tables. And uh, there was light uh, in the room where the elder vampires were when they, they come in through the tapestry. And no, I didn't think of the two as being parallel at all. There's another parallel that that you can see at least in the color scheme, and it's one of the most haunting images that you've ever put in the, any of the Dark Tower books, and that is uh, when Roland is carrying Jake through the trees. Oh yeah, um, yeah, and yeah. and like, listen, I was crying already by this point, oh, you know. Yeah. And then you, then then you son of a bitch, I turn that that page and see that, and I'm just like, I had to shut the book, <laughs> you know. Um, it, it, it is it is a very sad image, but it also reminds me a little bit of the melancholy feeling from uh, the gunslinger of the illustration of of him sitting at the at the ruins or whatever at the at the riverbank. And both are very green and lush and yep. calm in, in, in a way. One's more, you know, one's sadder, of course. But, yeah. you know, I, I can definitely see that being, you know, a complimentary piece to that piece. Yeah. 
I, you know, I didn't think of one while I was doing the other, but I could see where there's uh, a comparison. Yeah. But yeah, that scene was so, so heavy. And uh, again, I, I felt my job was just to paint the way I saw it in my head when I was reading that scene. And God, that that's just an amazing piece of writing. It just floored me. Indeed. Before we wrap up, I'd love to touch on perspective because you, you, you've mentioned multiple times that you see a movie playing in your head. So when you pick an image, you are picking a camera angle kind yeah. of almost, right? Yeah. You you do that very well, you know, throughout your work, obviously, but if we're focusing on Dark Tower, the, uh, like I remember the, the hanging man in, in uh, uh, Gunslinger, you know, has that kind of extreme overhead, yeah. you know, shot. So is that how you pick your perspective is, is you just take a frame from the movie in your head? Is that pretty much know? so? Yeah. It wasn't like I, I knew I wanted to have uh, Cuthbert and and uh, uh, Roland in the scene with the bread, you know, leaving the crumbs and everything. Um, You're right. Yeah, I can't explain wh- how that came into my head from that angle. It's just how I saw that that scene, and I remember the the painting came fairly easily to me. It's beautiful, and uh, all, all the work that you you've done uh, throughout the Dark Tower series has you know, once again, not only made an impression on, on me, but like has solidified what those stories are in my mind. Oh, thanks a lot. Um, and, and, uh, and I can't thank you enough for that. Uh, I can't thank you enough for actually letting me kind of wrap my head around what Oi actually looks like. Oh yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, there, there's right. And in some instances uh, with, with things that keep coming back to me, like uh, every once in a while, I'll get an Elric book or a, a Dark Tower book to do or something. I find sometimes that my vision of something will will change, just like Walt Disney's vision of what Mickey Mouse changed over the decade. Mm-hmm. And he uh, redefined it. And my feeling of oi uh, has been fairly consistent, but uh, I'm, I'm pretty convinced that uh, King sees him as having a, more of a curly tail than I give him. But it's like <laughs> I, I tried to stay as close to King's description of him as possible. You know, what's funny is only on one of my more like I reread the Dark Tower books every couple of years um, and only on my last reread for whatever reason did I pick up on the idea that Oi has like a deep I think he describes him as like a like a UK footballers accent. You know, yeah, like, that's uh, right. yeah. you know, and I, so I don't know how, cause I've read these books so many goddamn times, but I, I just didn't absorb that. And this time when I got to it, I was like, was this detail always there? Like, I didn't <laughs> realize like, like always sounded like Vinnie Jones or some shit, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's interesting. And yeah, I, I, don't, I, I don't know. And to be fair, I've also always struggled with how Oi must actually look. Sometimes it's more of a raccoon. Sometimes it's more of a dog. Sometimes it's, you know, I know. But- he, he, he varies his description quite a bit. And there's raccoons, badgers, dachshunds, corgis, <laughs> you know, he references a lot of different animals. So, uh, and badgers. So you're trying to, you know, as an artist, you're trying to incorporate what you think are the most relevant. You know, I like right. the idea of him being striped. So, you know, I take that from a badger, and he's yet he's got to have those really uh, soulful golden eyes. And uh, are his ears going to be round like on a raccoon, or pointy like on a corgi, or whatever? Mm-hmm. You know, but look, that's uh, kind of makes it fun. You know, so every artist has his different uh, take on what what Oi looks like. But I know what what mine looks like. <laughs> Since you're so ingrained in this dark tower feeling if somebody were to ever like actually get to make this for real, would, would you be interested in like joining the art department for them? Kind of like how Alan Lee did mm. with, with Peter Jackson and Lord of the Rings, because I yeah, can't, when they did the, uh, the gunslinger movie with Idris Elba. All they asked mm-hmm. me uh, about using was my symbol for car, you know, that yeah. Ka symbol. They, they wanted to put that somewhere in the background. And I said, that's it. That's the only part of my <laughs> and and I said, oh, okay, you know, give me X number of dollars and you'll have the right to use that and blah blah blah. But uh, when I saw the movie, I was just as happy that uh, that's the only part, uh, 
I had to do with it. But, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I've worked on a couple of movie projects in the past, and it's it's really not a very fun experience. Mm. Uh, so much of what you do ends up on the floor, you know, on the right. room floor or ends up not being used or the whole project gets uh, shit canned and uh, all that work. Uh, they, you know, they always want to buy all rights. So you can't mm. show it anywhere. You don't even have ownership of your own work. Right. Uh, where's the fun in that? You know, and <laughs> plus, uh, you have the, the situation where you're showing the work to money guys and producers and people who, who, uh, in my opinion, don't have much of an artistic sensibility and, and they're making uh, crucial decisions about how something's going to look or something's going to feel. And, uh, they're the wrong people to be yeah. to making those decisions. So it's, it's, uh, it's not very, very fun. So my whole thing has been about enjoying what I'm doing and having fun with. So I only work with people that I enjoy working with and uh, I work on projects that I, I feel committed to on, on all kinds of different levels. And if, uh, if there's something in a book that involves uh, father daughter incest or something like that, I'm not going to have mm. anything to do with it. Right. I've been very fortunate to be able to, to make those kind of decisions and stick to them and be happy with everything I'm doing. So that would factor in a lot with if there was a movie or a project coming along that uh, I would have to speak to the people and feel like uh, we had some kind of right. um, common ground and, and common vision before I would agree to have anything to do with it. Just to, from a fan perspective, I think that that would be the smart way to go about it. Cause I think one of the undersung aspects of what Peter Jackson did with Lord of the Rings is bringing on John Howe and Alan oh, Lee. Absolutely. And, what a- and like th- those movies would not, it, listen, right. the people, the designers at Weta are some of the most imaginative, brilliant people, but there's, there's something to bringing in the illustrators that have lived within these worlds forever that can just tell you what this looks like. Cause they've, they pictured it for I decades. Agree more. When I heard that Alan Lee was, uh, in on the project, I knew the movies were going to be awesome. Yeah. I, you know? I spent some time on, on those sets and in the sets of the Hobbit and, uh, I didn't get to know him well, but I got to know uh, Alan and John a little bit, and they they very kindly both like drew me uh, uh, little illustrations in my in my book. So so uh, I'll, those are like treasured things. I'll I'll uh, yeah. keep forever. I got I got a golem from one and a Gandalf from the other. So right. yeah, no, you couldn't have picked better artists to have involved in the project, and it uh, it affected the whole look of the thing. Yeah, it was right. That was a complete validation of your point right there. So uh, if good people do Dark Tower, they can come to you and maybe it'll work out is what I'm saying. <laughs> well, uh, well thank you. A movie of the of Black House. I, I want in on that. I I love that book and uh, it, it's scary as shit and freaky as shit. And I love hmm. the freaky aspects of it. And uh, I heard that, the, that there's a, a talisman in the works. So if that leads mm-hmm. to a Black House... You know, I'd really love to get my foot in that door, man. All right. So the Duffers, if if you're listening, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Steven Spielberg, if I know you're you're a Patreon subscriber, so <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, feel feel free to to hit up uh, our boy Michael here. Yeah. So my, this is oh, go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say, my, yeah, we're probably getting to the same point. I was gonna say, uh, this is usually the point where we you know, allow our guests to tease or pitch whatever they've got going on right now. And your website, very much in operation. You're, you're selling uh, prints right now. Um, yeah. Are you selling dark tower prints right now? Yeah. I confess I have not looked this morning. I sell them all the time. And uh, in fact, uh, what I've been doing the last day and a half is trying to fix the goddamn printer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I who prints the things uh it, when i signed the 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 prints it's because i ran the the damn thing off and approved it so nice. um you know occasionally i'll do a remark or a sketch on a print but you know i try not to do it too often because uh it's uh it involves time you know and i've only got so many hours per day but anyway i hope i can get the the thing fixed but uh <laughs> i don't you know, I, because I've listened to some of your podcasts, I realize you come to a point where guests can plug things, and I've got nothing mm-hmm. to plug. Um, <laughs> well, you, you got your towards, store. Uh, the last six months is getting to a point where I've got nothing on my 
my horizon so I could do my gallery work for a year. And that's right where I'm at. I'm just about done with uh, uh, a few little projects I've had to get out of the way. And then I've got some open horizon in front of me. And I'm so hyped. I'm so psyched. (laughs) Um, I can't tell you. But um, it doesn't mean that at some point it could be uh, Halloween this year or something. I'll say, you know what? I've got to do this image from the mist that I've always wanted to paint. And it'll be another Stephen King-related thing. But it'll be... (laughs) Uh, generated by me from me because I, I'm into it and, and want to do it, not uh, because I've been hired to do it. And that, that's a wonderful place to be. It's Believe me, I realize how rare it is for an artist to make a living and to make more, moreover, to make a living being an artist and to put your kids through Ivy League colleges and, and they have a nice house and all that kind of stuff. It's extremely rare. And uh, so I, there isn't a day where I'm not cognizant of how privileged and, and lucky I am a person. And part of that is because uh, people like Stephen King have took a liking to my work and tapped me to, to do uh, things in association with them and uh, ride a little bit on the gravy train that he represents. And so fortunate and, and grateful for how that's worked out. And uh, so it's been a wonderful, it's been a wonderful life and I've had a wonderful opportunity. And so I'm not going to plug anything. <laughs> right on. Well, well, we'll do it for you. You enjoyed my work and supported me all these years. I, I definitely want people to know that they can pick up these dark tower prints at it's michaelwayland.com, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Very, very easy. Go to the store there. Um, you know, I can vouch for the uh, gunslinger on the beach. As I said, I look at it every single day. And, uh, um, uh, the one thing that I'll always kick myself for is I think your, uh, the legends piece went out of print and I never got, got that one. So, yeah. so there's something I can chase on, on the secondary market for the rest of my days. Okay. Uh, everybody should go check out the website, even just to, to look at your art, you know, the beautiful stuff that you, you have up there and all the stories behind it. Um, so thank you so much for, for joining us. This has been a blast. Can I say one other thing? Sure. If you ever devote a podcast to audiobooks, I yes. want in. <laughs> I want fucking in because I've got um, – I I love a lot of the King's audiobooks. Uh, I love yeah. the readers, I mean, the good ones, and I've got definite opinions about them. And I would love to be in on that conversation. So just keep me in mind. Okay. That's all. Absolutely. I for for sure. Yeah. No, the audiobooks have been a huge help for me as I've been going through this because I'm a very slow reader. So it's actually quicker for me to revisit a lot of these King stories via audiobook uh, as we're recording these episodes. Because uh, some of these things that we're talking about, I haven't read since, you know, I was 20 years old. Yeah. You know, so I'm, I'm wanting to be kind of caught up on it. It adds such a dimension to, uh, to a book. And uh, these days I don't communicate much with Steve. We email once in a while back and forth, but nine times out of 10, it's about audiobooks. And I, I'm telling him that, you know, Will Patton just ace that fucking uh, uh, Hulk <laughs> Givney character and or yes. whatever. And uh, I love sharing that with him and, and hearing his enthusiasm about it too. It's just pretty oh, that's cool. awesome. Did you hear the version of it read by Steven Weber? That one was excellent. Yeah. Well, my current favorite is the life of Chuck that, uh, this guy named Danny Bernstein, who I've never heard of before. I think he, he fucking nails that. It's, it's, I've listened to that probably 20 times. <laughs> wow. It's like listening to music for me, you know, I mean, the, the nuance, the, the parts of the story that even though I read it, I didn't catch, but I catch it in the audiobook because he adds uh, a particular nuance to it or whatever. And anyway, I'm not going to, I don't want to beat it in dead horse, go over it and over it. <laughs> no, yeah, we have, we have long, we have long. Happens, so I'd really like to be in, uh, in on it. We have ha- long had requests for a bonus episode devoted entirely to cool. the audiobooks. And if you're listening to these things 20 times a piece, it sounds like you are very qualified to be the guest on that particular episode when we do it. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk off mic. We'll kick around some ideas. Okay. Yeah. Great. All right. Well, thank you again for joining us. Thanks. This is uh, this has been a pleasure. Yes, yeah, it was fun. amazing. Thanks.